0: Discerninghearts.com in cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation presents The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer. Father Trainer serves as the rector of St. John Vianney Theological Seminary in Denver, Colorado. He has been an instructor and spiritual director for many of the programs at the Institute for Priestly Formation. He is a retreat master and spiritual director who has traveled the country as a speaker for various conferences, diocesan gatherings, and national conferences. He is the author of The Parish as a School of Prayer, Foundation for the New Evangelization, on which this series is based. The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father Scott, thanks for joining me again.
1: Such a pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: In this wonderful journey of prayer that you're guiding us on, we've spoken in conversations about those sacramental encounters that that, in a particular, are gathering for the Eucharist and being aware and the receptivity and the and responding to that great action, that great, movement of God towards us. And in one of the conversations, you brought forward how we respond to him. I'm thinking of the Blessed Mother, and she said, do whatever he tells you mm. to do. Knowing what he tells us to do, for so many of those who are just awakening in their prayer, it may be a call to go into the parish. Maybe if I I come to my parish, so God's calling me to Help out in religious education, mm-hmm. or maybe I'm supposed to help with dinners for those who have suffered in funerals, or maybe I even do more than that somehow. I get involved in my parish to serve. Can you talk to us about those first inklings of service in responding to God's love? and how can that what is truly of him,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and what may be a distraction?
1: Sure. Well, a couple things. Um, first of all, one of the unmistakable hallmarks of a real encounter with God's love is that I am inspired. I am moved to give as a gift what I've received as a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of that with such gratitude in my own experiences. I had a faith awakening in my time in college. Uh, When I started to, like, the love of God that I first heard about my whole life long and Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But when that became a living reality in my heart, just in the first stirrings of that lived experience, immediately, like, I wanted to go share this. Like, there was something just naturally happened, and I've seen that repeated again and again in hundreds of people's lives over my years of priesthood. And it's beautiful to behold. I, I think this is probably one of the most privileged and Uh, beautiful moments uh, in priesthood because you actually are often invited and are present with a person who's just having that awakening or a a great deepening of something that has been more routine in their life. Well, it's a great, beautiful, privileged thing to be a witness to and, of course, to experience ourselves. So uh, thanks be to God when a person who's having those first stirrings really wants to make a generous response. Right? And what I would encourage people to do is just to really ask God, make it clear and simple and easy, concretely God, what you're asking of me. And like all things in discernment, there's a subjective and an objective dimension. Okay? Okay. So I'm a rector of a seminary and I can have a guy in my seminary who is convinced as the day is long that God is calling him to be a priest. Well, the objective confirmation of that subjective experience comes through when his bishop calls him to holy orders, calls him to ordination, right? And if that does not happen, what the guy can be convinced of in his heart is not the truth, at least not now in this circumstance, right? Mm -hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, My subjective discernment always has to be confirmed in the objective order. So one of those things is that what I'm inspired to do comports with, say, the teachings of the church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, God is not going to inspire me to respond in a way that is contrary to what the church does and the way that she's structured. That's just not going to happen. God doesn't contradict himself.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I might be convinced in my heart, but I'm deceived. I can be wrong. I can be sincere and sincerely wrong. That really does happen. So on the more uh, sort of day-to-day routine of the situation you're describing. Mm -hmm. I'm praying. I'm experiencing God's love. It's coming alive in my heart. And I'm really moved to say, start an adult ed program. Well, that needs to be brought into the holy ordering of the church. And um, this is a great task. And you can pray for your pastors uh, because the pastor, you know, can't actually do anything in his parish. Mm -hmm. He's not capable of accomplishing anything on his own. He needs the people of the parish to actually do the things that God is asking to be done in the parish. However, um, so I can't do it. Yeah, priest can't do anything on his own. So, but what he's called to do is to receive with gratitude the gifts that God is bringing up in the hearts and minds of the people of the parish and the broader community and to bring those into a holy ordering to fulfill the mission of the parish. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So for a person who has this inspiration, my encouragement is go and talk to your pastor and pray for your pastor as you're waiting for your meeting with him, right? And say, you know, this is what's in my heart and this is what I would really love to do. And then listen to how that can fit into the life of the parish. So. That's where that objective dimension and sometimes shaping of the inspiration that the person has received in their heart uh, unfolds in an organic, relational way in the holy ordering of the church. Okay. And I can just say, I can give testimony to uh, the adventure and the joy and the beauty of this in my last assignment um, where you took, uh, I was a campus minister at the University of South Dakota at St. Thomas More Newman Center, and I was there for five years. And when I first got there, uh, a lot of days at Mass, it was me and the angels and the saints. It just wasn't, a at that moment, in a very vibrant place. When I left five years later, uh, regularly we had 50 to 80 people at daily Mass. Mm. We had 60 weekly Bible studies happening on campus with 300 students. Is that right? More more than that. uh, Involved in weekly Bible study. It was just... Culminating, right? And as people were growing in the life of prayer, as they were growing under, in understanding of the teachings of the church, and as they were asking for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their lives, those three key elements, they were coming alive. Lives were being transformed. And it was a holy mess because as people were having the experience of coming alive in their faith, they wanted to share mm-hmm. what they were experiencing with other people. So There's just a steady encounter with people like, Father, can we do this, can we do this? And it grew to such a beautiful crescendo as the campus was being evangelized that I was like, every day, it was just this holy, glorious mess of ideas and inspirations and the joy as a priest to be able to take that to the altar in my prayer at mass and ask Jesus, like, Jesus, show me, like, here's, you know, this is happening with this person, this is happening over here, and here's going, how can this all work together To advance the mission uh, that you've given to our community. And again, please make it clear, make it simple, and make it easy, and he did. And so to live as pastor, receiving with gratitude and joy these gifts that God was raising up in people's hearts, and to beg God to, through my priesthood, bring a holy ordering to what he was doing in the hearts of these people was (laughs) such an adventure. And it was, it was messy, sometimes we made missteps, but it was so fruitful, it is so fruitful, so beautiful. Uh, And this is, I'm convinced, the way that God intends for every parish to be uh, living as a community, day in and day out. So, when you have those inspirations, yes, bring them and submit them essentially to the uh, discernment of the church. There has to be the objective verification and I might have the right idea, but the wrong place at the wrong time. And I can be helped to find the right outlet for the grace that God's given. Or maybe I have it dead on and it's just the thing that uh, this community has been waiting for. And it's going to be a tremendous blessing right here and right now, just the way God has brought it up in my imagination.
0: That's the key is to go back and to even listen to the previous conversations that we've had when we've talked about individual prayer and mm-hmm. what we should be looking for, being, you know, be aware, understand what's happening. Is this coming from a place of virtue as opposed to a place of vice or fear yes. or some other kind of uh, motivation? And then, as you've said, to sit with a pastor and to say, this is what's on my heart. Mm-hmm. And to pray with him to discern whether or not this conflicts with maybe if you're a young mother and you have small children, Mm -hmm. maybe he's not calling you to run this second-grade program in religious Mm -hmm. ed at that moment. All those kind of factors come in, but the key is to pray together. And the pastor really is the leader and for those who he's formed Mm -hmm. and established as leaders Mm -hmm. of that prayer.
1: Yeah, that God has a a holy ordering in his church, right? And never uh, moves people in such a way that disturbs or overturns or goes around that ordering. That ordering doesn't limit or kind of keep a lid on anything. It actually uh, offers the necessary support in freedom that all the gifts that God has given can really be fully expressed and flourish as God intends.
0: What's the danger if in ministry, whether you are the pastor of a particular parish, maybe you're a leader of an apostolate, or whatever the circumstances might be, of managing the operations of the particular ministry becomes one more, as opposed to discerning the actions and movement of particular ministry. Do you see where I'm going? The difference between the management and the discernment.
1: Yes. Um, every priest by nature of our vocation is called to be a discerning presence in the midst of his people in the way that I just described, like paying attention to the signs of what God is doing in the hearts of his people, um, in the situations that come up in the parish. God, what are you doing here? So (laughs) I talk about this sometimes, but you know, um, years ago, uh, it was very popular those what would Jesus do bracelets, right? Mm-hmm. WWJD and you had the coffee mugs and the pencils and the wrist bracelets and everything else, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, full disclosure, I used to give out those wristbands <laughs> and co- had that coffee mug and everything else like that. Mm-hmm. But it occurred to me a while ago that honestly, uh, there's no Christian way to end that question. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do what? If he were here, if he knew what was going on, if he cared about it, if he was able to do something, about, like how do you end that question? What would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. Right? And I think it's actually a subtle kind of deception that undermines the radical reality of our faith because it puts Jesus into the hypothetical, into the subjunctive. You know, if he were here, if he knew what was going on, if he was able to do something about it, if he cared. Well, of course, Jesus is here. He does care. He's all powerful. He can make, he makes the difference in all things. Nothing exists apart from him and his active love right now. He's the most real person in the, in the room. Mm-hmm. So the Catholic question version of that is Jesus, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. So we can have a new company, the J. Wade stuff. Jesus, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, <laughs> And that'll be fantastic. But it, it puts it, uh, it focuses our attention on reality as reality is. Jesus is present, he is active. The best thing I can do in any circumstance is unite myself to what Jesus is doing, period. And mm-hmm. thanks be to God, God is a God of revelation. He likes to make known what he is doing. So a priest is called to be a discerning presence in the midst of his parish. Jesus, what are you doing so that with all the energies and blessings that you've given to us, we can cooperate in your action, cooperate in your action. So that's true of the priest in his vocation, but it's also true in the way that he's uh, leading and collaborating with all the other good volunteers and staff members in the parish. That has to be, that habit has to be multiplied in the parish community. Otherwise, what you'll have is good people, talented people with good intentions doing what they see fit. But Jesus is really clear in John chapter 15. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So to be a discerning presence as a pastor or as a DRE or as a volunteer in the parish means choosing uh, to be a discerning presence, means to be choosing to remain united with Jesus as Jesus is making that possible for us day by day, situation by situation, and letting him lead. Jesus, what are you doing and that's the only way our good efforts with all our talents and resources and energy and money that we put into stuff will be fruitful because apart from him we can do nothing nothing that will bear fruit that will be lasting that will advance the cause of the kingdom that will lead us to holiness that will bring the joy of heaven uh, emergent in our daily experience and everlasting in our eternal reward that's the only way that happens is with him and never apart from him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you're like a a branch that comes off the vine that withers and is thrown into the fire. So I can't say enough about the importance of helping and fostering and encouraging people in all the good things that they're desiring to do for the church to grow in the habits of discernment, to be able to be with Jesus and not just doing good things on our own. And listen, over time, (laughs) the difference is made clear. Because when I'm doing this with Jesus, even if I'm knocking myself out, it's joyful, it's life-giving, it's ordered, it's fruitful in ways I never expected. Uh, There's a kind of ease, even though it's real work. Uh, It's delightful. When I'm doing what looks to be a good thing, but it's really just my idea, and I'm really doing it on my own strength, uh, there's gonna be division, there's gonna be discouragement, There's going to be frustration. There's going to be continuing difficulties. It's burdensome. It's tiring. And I just, what are we doing here? And so over time, the longer this goes on one way or the other, by Mm -hmm. the standard of Christ or my own standard, uh, the, the fruits become very clear in time.
0: This really is how the parish becomes the foundations for the new evangelization. Because as we've kind of gone full circle to that original discussion that we had, that in the new evangelization, the church has said it needs to be a listening church, mm-hmm. not only to our brothers and sisters, people that we're encountering, but listening to him mm-hmm. and then doing, as our lady has said, do whatever he he's tells telling you to do. Yeah.
1: Amen. And when I'm listening to my brothers and sisters, what I'm listening for is Christ in them. I have this trust that God is speaking to this person, is relating to this person, is moving this person, is loving this person. And so that's what I'm listening for in them, which is the best of them, you know? And uh, a lot of times, you know, if someone's listening to me, they're going to have to sort through a lot of stuff to get to that gold of what God is doing in me because my own brokenness and my own, you know, uh, refusal to God, all that kind of stuff in my life can sometimes cover over what God is really doing. But what's worthwhile listening for in each person is their place where they are in communion with God. And uh, radically, that's true for every one of us because we're held in existence. God is loving this person that's in front of me into existence right now. So the most irritating, agitating, obnoxious person in my life, there's something worthwhile attending to, listening to in them. Because God, is. there is a place of communion for them with God that radically is holding them into existence right now and that can really, again I say this it's greatly challenging to me and as I meet all sorts of people every day in my priestly life to be brought back to that again and again so I never am dismissive of a person, I'm never uh, rejecting them, I'm never uh, condemning them or dismissing them in any way uh, while standing in the truth looking for what's most true and good and beautiful in them, that God is loving in them. Because that's there Mm -hmm. uh, in every circumstance.
0: What an incredible responsibility that the pastor then has in this school of prayer, that when lay leaders come forward, or just those lay servants who come forward, Mm -hmm. learning how to do this, say, in a parish council meeting, or those who are gathering to prepare religious ed program for the year or however that's going to be played out because what they learn there in those situations mm-hmm. ideally they're taking out into the business world that they're engaged in into the neighborhood that they're engaged in and the families mm-hmm. there are parts of so it the parish has to be that school of prayer otherwise how does the heartbeat really function strongly out into the rest of the world
1: right um. I was listening to a, a keynote addressed by Father Robert Barron recently at the National Conference of Diocesan Vocation Directors. Mm-hmm. And uh, Father Barron is just tremendous in so many ways. But he made this point. He said, you know, uh, the Second Vatican Council, which, of course, beautifully articulated the mission of the laity to be the leaven in the world that transforms the structures of society. Think about that. That's not the job of priests and consecrated persons necessarily, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The job of the priest is to equip the saints of God for the work of God in all the places where they go that as a priest I will never have access to. Okay, Mm -hmm. And uh, so this beautiful articulation of the role for evangelization and the transformation of culture in Christ in the world that was articulated in Vatican II uh, that council was the largest meeting in the history of the world. You know, 3,000 bishops plus their aides and assistants and experts and everything else meeting over all these sessions over several years. It was a vast undertaking as a meeting. But in the business world, you know, meetings are a necessary evil. They're not ends unto themselves. You have a meeting to clarify the issue, to develop a strategy according to a vision so that you can go back to work. And I'm not sure in terms of the habits, this is what Father Barron was saying, is uh, that like, it seems that after Vatican II, we just kind of stayed in the mode of meeting. Like what it meant to be in the church was, and active in the church was kind of perpetual dynamics of meetings. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was a really interesting way to name, what's a hard thing to name, uh, in the aftermath of the council, you know? And so, why, well, of course, you need these structures and meetings. They're not ends unto themselves. They should be to assess situations, to understand what our circumstance is, to develop the vision uh, according to which we address the circumstances that present themselves, and so that we can go to work.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, uh-huh.
1: and uh, the vision of Catholics being equipped. In their daily growing intimacy with God, to be a discerning presence in their families and in their other relationships and endeavors in the world, uh, that is a compelling vision that will be fruitful the more fully it's embraced. So it is vitally important that pastors own their vocation to be the dean of the school of the parish, of, uh, the parish as a school of prayer, a master teacher who teaches teachers how to teach. Mm -hmm. in the life of prayer. Uh, So moms and dads are the ones who should be inviting and initiating and accompanying their children in the life of growing intimacy with God in their personal prayer and the life of the sacraments of the church. Now, 99.9% of parents hearing that are like, I don't know how to do that. No one ever showed me how to do that. I didn't experience that. How would I ever go about that? Your priest should be the one who is, as your pastor, capable uh, of animating like either directly in relationship with you or through raising up other good uh, people in the parish who can accompany you to invite, initiate you, and um, accompany you in living out that call of your vocation. So people shouldn't feel bad if they're like, I don't even know how to start with that. Uh, Priests shouldn't feel bad if they're like, I don't even know where to begin doing that as the pastor of the parish. But the resources are available today to begin that process for pastors to own their vocation as master teachers of prayer that teach teachers how to teach. So really work with parents to be the primary educators of their children and the things of the faith, including their personal relationship with God. And then to uh, by multiplying that knowledge and wisdom and bringing it to bear in the life of the church in every context. Uh, in the way we conduct our council meetings, these, these are great opportunities for pastors to carry out that formation when the finance council meeting meets, when we're talking to the DREs and the voluntary catechists or whatever it is, to the youth minister and uh, the interested adults who are helping with the youth group. When I have access to the, uh, those groupings of generous people in my parish, my first priority is to help them grow in their life of prayer, to give them the tools they need to Be able to grow in intimacy with God so that in whatever they're doing in the church and then beyond the confines of the people who are already showing up in their families, in their communities, in their workplaces to be instruments of evangelization. There is no place that's going to be, uh, sorry, there's no greater return on investment than the effort of uh, forming my people in the life of prayer. It, it, it's the best and first place I can pour out my energies as a priest. Uh, and it will have a many, many-fold return in the life of the parish and the evangelization of our communities.
0: As we have discussed, in that individual's encounter with the Lord in prayer, there will be those those aches, those pains, those wounds. Sure. that particularly in from the American perspective, we aren't even, the, the, the real sadness is we're, we don't even look at them as wounds anymore. It's just we accept them as a state of our condition.
1: Yeah. You know, um, resignation never comes from God. God doesn't uh, ever say something in my heart that sounds like, you know, this could be a lot worse and uh, this is basically tolerable. It's not ideal, but um, you know we can just muddle on the best we can. That's kind of the voice of resignation and it never comes from God. God never calls us to be resigned. He came to save us, to redeem us, to heal us, to set us free. And he is powerful in love to do and accomplish what he desires to do, what he has come to us to do. Amen. And uh, so, re- like, resignation never comes. So when, you know, when people look, they're doing their best to raise their children, they're just like, oh, well, resignation. Kids will be kids, and I guess that's just the way it's going to go. And, you know, I don't think that's probably best for my son and my daughter, but, you know, we're swimming upstream. What can we do? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's just the discouragement that comes from the enemy so that um, we are kept far from the grace and the blessing of God. So it is, uh, you know, it's a troubling time when what is evil is called good. When people just look for teachers who will tickle their ears instead of telling them the truth that is best for them, to tell them the truth in love, who will invest in them to accompany them through the hard work, through the struggle of arriving at, (laughs) through conversion of life, of what God has planned for them. I've come that you might have life and life to the full. Uh, it's daunting. But in all these things, we conquer overwhelmingly through him who loved us. And we can take courage that Jesus, in the world you will have trouble, but have no fear. Take courage. I have overcome the world. That's these are great and precious promises that we need to come back to again and again so that we don't just fall into the discouragement, and the resignation that accompanies it.
0: That's why that prayer life of the pastor, of the priest, is really, I'm going to go back to the word, the heartbeat mm-hmm. for that school of prayer.
1: Amen. And pray for your priests, that we will be faithful in God's daily invitation to come to him in prayer, that we would have the magnanimity, the largeness of heart to really welcome Uh, the situation of our parish and each person in our parish as they are with unconditional love in our hearts as priests and pastors, and then as we go to prayer and at Mass as well, to lift up our hearts which hold in love, unconditional love, our parish and each person in it to the Lord. In that way, that's the way God has chosen to flood parishes with his grace and blessing. So the life of your the prayer life of your pastor is of critical importance. Pray for him and encourage him in that life of prayer. And, you know, there's many people who are listening who have uh, a real relationship with their pastor. They don't just attend mass and he's the guy up on the altar, but they know him and it's acquaintance or friendship. And uh, encourage your pastor, like, uh, hopefully in that relationship, you'll hear if he's praying and in touch in daily life with uh, the love of God, and he's praying in his vocation as your pastor, you're just going to hear naturally what God is doing in him, uh, what that experience is like for him. It's going to be revealed in his preaching. Listen, without a day of theological formation or formation in the spiritual life, every parishioner knows when their pastor is preaching, if he's preaching with authority. And what I, with authority, what I mean is from lived experience, he knows Jesus and he's sharing with us what he knows, as opposed to he's heard about Jesus and he's sharing with us what he heard from someone else. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows this difference. I mean, new, prayer, new pastor comes in, new assignment, right? Mm-hmm. In five minutes, everyone knows this, right? And that's not by way of like throwing the guy under the bus or being critical or anything. But there's a real difference in people instinctively. It registers. Is this, does he know? This is what amazed people about Jesus. He didn't quote a bunch of other rabbis as authoritative sources. He spoke of the Father because he knows the Father. And he didn't have to appeal to another authority. Now, yes, my gosh, as a priest, I stand on the shoulders of giants in 2,000 years of the mystical tradition of the church and her teaching and the unpacking of God's revelation in men and wisdom, men and women outstanding in wisdom and knowledge and learning. Like, there's such a storehouse of the treasure of our faith to be brought to bear. But there's a difference between just talking about that that other people knew, and having that come alive and be integrated in my heart, in my relationship with God, and through that lens, being communica- uh, communicating that treasure of the church. So yeah, the, the prayer life and the deepening intimacy of God, of the pastor, is critical for the flourishing of every parish as a family of families with their pastor as the father of that family of families. And that's the nature of the parish. His prayer life is critical, just like the prayer life of any parent in their family is essential for the family being what it's meant to be.
0: You've been listening to The School of Prayer, Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer. To hear and or to download this episode along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com in cooperation with the Institute for Priestly Formation. I'm your host Chris McGregor. Join us next time for The School of Prayer: Foundations for the New Evangelization with Father Scott Trainer.